0: It is the classic underdog story from which every other derives its strength and resolve. In a ubiquitous good versus evil fashion, the army of God stood against the army of the Philistines. And there was one, a giant by the name of Goliath who stood in front of God's people, taunting them, calling them to bring out a man. One-on-one, winner takes all. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Dad, Jesse, sends his youngest, with provisions in hand, to the battlefront to take care of his his other boys, and with those provisions under his arm, David heard the tauntings of Goliath, and he was incensed. First Samuel chapter 17 gives us the account. Verse 32, David stands before the king and says, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant, David speaking of himself, your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him. Your buddy youth. Well, he's been a warrior from his youth. David, don't you realize you're a boy? This man is a trained soldier. (laughs) David, you're a shepherd. And and this man is a skilled warrior from his youth. David, this man is ready for war. Look at what he's wearing. And here you stand in your flip flops. What are you thinking? David responds, verse 33, 34 Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. you know the end of the encounter David killed Goliath with a single shot from his sling was he crazy was he out of his mind was he being a braggart thinking arrogantly that he could he could Defeat such such a strong, skilled, trained warrior. No, it was for David a calculated risk. Because of his experience with other predators, he knew with certainty, he knew with confidence, that he could take out this predator of God's flock. And so he did. A good and caring shepherd always stands in the gap when the flock are threatened by any kind of predator who has their eye on a rack of lamb. Listen to this testimony from a Mongolian shepherd. Shepherds lead flocks of sheep every morning to pasture five or six kilometers, three or four miles, away from home. Wolves are the rivals of shepherds and sheep, at least in his part of the world. As a shadow, wolves pursue the herd. A pack of wolves follow them from afar, climbing hills and mountains from the moment a shepherd leaves home with his flocks. If any sheep give birth on the way to their young, they're left in the meadow, and the wolves run immediately toward them, and the lambs are attacked by birds of prey. The shepherd pays great attention to them all the time for this reason. When the shepherd goes away from the flock of sheep, the wolves come in and strike the sheep immediately. Never do they prey only on one sheep. They bite some sheep's tails, others' thighs, the back of the neck. Wolves seriously bite off between 50 to 60 sheep. In addition, mother wolves let the wounded sheep play with their young to show them to hunt the sheep scarcely shift and mourn with agony as they are torn here and there by the wolves then the birds of prey swoop in and peck the wounded sheep's flesh and eyes lions tigers bears and wolves oh my It is the responsibility of the shepherd to stand in the gap, to protect the sheep. Sometimes, of course, they are unable to do so because the the number of animals uh, or the number of of uh, sheep that possibly have strayed is is so large that it goes beyond the skill and the ability of of the shepherd to manage and to protect. But they have that responsibility to protect the flock. They also have the responsibility to give an account of their time and attention to their charges. In the Mosaic Law, if uh, an animal comes missing, uh, a shepherd is, uh, is, is, is called to account for the death of that animal. Was it indeed by a wild animal and that the shepherd could not um, care for that animal? According to uh, Amos chapter 3, just a leg, maybe a piece of an ear is sufficient to show that this, uh, this particular animal under the care of the shepherd died by a wild animal. In our continuing study through John's Gospel, we come this morning to middle of John chapter 10, a beloved chapter, one of my favorites in the the scriptures. It's a chapter that begins, as we looked at last week, with Jesus declaring of himself, I am the door, by which he meant to gain access to him and Um, what he provides, the safety and security that he provides, you have to go through Jesus. Similarly, uh, you have to go through Jesus to get out of the pen to enjoy the the bounty and the richness of all that he will provide in the field. From an Old Testament point of view, uh, the, the illegitimate shepherds, uh, were those wicked kings, those uh, uh, corrupt priests, those pseudo-messiahs, those, those uh, uh, false prophets that abounded in Israel that um, didn't go through the correct channel, didn't go through the, the, the word of the Lord, if you will. Uh, they snuck in in, other, in another way. From a New Testament Perspective: Those illegitimate shepherds are those pastors, teachers, uh, missionaries who don't go through Jesus. They bypass what he has revealed about himself. And they go in another way. They are illegitimate shepherds. This morning, beginning in verse 11, Jesus gives us another picture in this shepherd-sheep motif Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. He contrasts himself with um, those who are hired, um, uh, those who um, um, are, are in it for themselves, in it for the money, in it for what they can gain. Read with me our text, John chapter ten, beginning at verse eleven through verse. 18. Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his sheep for the sheep, lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand. And is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, but which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. And I have authority to take it up, to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. From this text of Scripture I find five Character qualities about this good shepherd, the Lord Jesus. He is a shepherd of faithful concern. Secondly, of intimate knowledge. Thirdly, he is a shepherd who gives of his life voluntarily. Fourth, he is an intentional gatherer, he is one of perfect obedience. Point number one our good shepherd. Is one of faithful concern. Here, the contrast with the faithful, with the hired hand who looks to simply get what he can get. This is is the mercenary shepherd. He's just simply being paid, and that's all he's there for. He's not genuinely interested in the sheep. Jesus, on the other hand, is faithful, concerned. He is a genuine shepherd of the sheep who is interested and willing to give of himself. He's not there to get. Prophet uh, Zechariah. Chapter 11. Verse 16 describes false shepherds. And he says they are those who do not care for the perishing. They do not seek the scattered. They do not heal the broken. They do not sustain the one standing. These are mercenary shepherds. These are shepherds that should not be there. Because they're in it for what they can get out of it. Now, a pastor who takes a salary or a missionary who takes a salary is not a hireling unless they are simply in it for the power, the prestige, the position, the profit. The good shepherd. Those who are good under-shepherds of our lord are ones who will give and give they will pay for the privilege of serving and giving of themselves for the flock turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter 5 Peter speaks to fellow elders Pastors, teachers, leaders in God's church. And he says in verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Giving. Always giving. That's what characterizes the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus. He is always looking to give, showing a faithful concern for the flock. Point number two. This good shepherd is one who has intimate knowledge of his own. In our text, verse 14, Jesus says, I know my own sheep, and my own know me. And to this degree. As the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. When sheep are around a shepherd for... A good pit of time, and particularly when the shepherd handles the sheep, holds the sheep, touches the sheep. they They understand his voice and they know it is him by his smell. And they can see him and they recognize him. And there is an intimate knowledge that the sheep have of their shepherd. I'm told that when Sheep are handled from, um, from very early in their life that they are loyal to their shepherd like a dog. But what's most interesting is that the good shepherd knows his sheep so much better to this degree As the Father knows the Son, and the Son knows the Father, to that same degree does Jesus know his sheep. Nothing is too small in your life. Nothing is too complicated in your life that the Lord doesn't know all of the details in your life. He knows everything. As a faithful, concerned, caring shepherd, he takes action. He does what is needed to provide for his own. He uses that intimate knowledge for your good and his glory. Listen to the testimony of Scripture. Psalm 139, read earlier this morning. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, (laughs) behold, O Lord, you know it all. Psalm 56. You have taken account of all my wanderings. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Every tear you shed is recorded. Proverbs 15. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Nothing escapes the notice of this good shepherd. Intimate knowledge, faithful concern in every detail of the sheep's life. Second page of your notes. Point number three, the good shepherd voluntarily gives up his life. I will go over these again, but there are just eight verses in our text this morning. And four times do we read of the Good Shepherd laying down his life. Verse 11, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life. Verse 15, I lay down my life. Verse 17, I lay down my life. Verse 18, I lay it down. And I'd like to start back at the beginning of our text and point something out. I've wanted to do so right here, because even though this is at the the middle of my message this morning, it is at the very center and the heart of our text this morning. Namely, that Jesus is the Good Shepherd. I take you back to verse 11. Now I'm reading from the New American Standard text, and it says this, I am the Good Shepherd, the Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Let me point something out. You're not privileged to have the Greek text in front of you. There is a, an amazing truth there uh, that escapes English readers. Literally, Jesus says this: Go me, translated, I am. He, he's, he's taking that name of God given to Moses at the mountain before the burning bush. We translate that Yahweh. In Greek, it comes across Ego I am. So Jesus claims the name of deity. I am. And the predicate is the Good Shepherd. Now, literally, it It reads, I am the shepherd, the good. Meaning, I am the shepherd, namely, the good one. And then, in the Greek text, there is immediately following, no punctuation mark, as is is common in Greek. No punctuation mark. And he says the very same thing again. The shepherd, the good one. So re- literally it, it reads Ego and me. I am the shepherd, the good one. The shepherd, the good one. With drama and with emphasis, Jesus declares himself to be the good shepherd. Not just good as opposed to bad. Not just good as opposed to incompetent or inferior. But good as the supreme one. The noble one. The one who is in a class all by himself. He is that shepherd. And what does this shepherd do? He lays down his life. Think about that with me for just a moment. This is is a crazy thought. Now, Now, a shepherd, if he is doing battle with a lion, a bear, wolves... And he has to step between his flock, his charge, and the predator. I'm sure it's happened many times in history. The shepherd, in an attempt to protect his flock, has lost his own life from this predator. David was able to defeat the lion and the bear. And maybe some wolves as well. But Jesus says, He lays down His life... Verse 18 tells us that He lays down His life on His own initiative. We get the picture here of Jesus the shepherd the shepherd the good shepherd laying down not 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 doing battle with his predators but but he lays down his life he puts his hands above his 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 head and and it's as though he's inviting the lion to take a swipe at his midsection this is unusual well this is a good example of the reality outdistancing the figure. For other um, for other shepherds, uh, to, to to lay down your life um, simply doesn't make any sense. Uh, to, to, to simply uh, roll out in the field and, and put your hands above your head and, and say, okay, lion, wolves, whatever the predator might be, uh, come get me. That doesn't make any sense. But it does make sense for Jesus when we read the rest of the phrase. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. I've talked about this little preposition, who pair, before. Um, it's translated for, and it means um, on behalf of, instead of, for the benefit of. We find it in many texts of Scripture. Here, here's a, a couple from Romans chapter 5. For while we were still helpless, Paul writes, at the right time, Christ died for, there's that preposition, for the ungodly. Verse 8 of chapter 5. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for, there's that same preposition, for us, for sinners. Christ died for sinners. For, on the behalf of, for the benefit of, instead of, us. We find the same preposition in 1 Corinthians 15, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1, Tim, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, and other places. With reference to Christ giving up His life for, on behalf of, for the benefit of the sheep for his people, for sinners, for the undeserving, the ungodly. Where there are other sacrificial deaths, death is final. Not here. With respect to other sacrificial deaths, uh, no life comes out of it, only death. But not here. With other sacrificial deaths, deaths um, death is not voluntary for the, uh, f- for the one being sacrificed. It's done to them. Uh, but not here. Now this death that Christ dies is not final. This death that Christ dies results in life. This death that Christ dies is voluntary. He is completely in charge. This is not foisted upon Him. He intentionally does it. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. His is a voluntary sacrifice. Point number four, the, the good shepherd is an intentional gatherer. Look with me at verse 16. Jesus says, I, I have other sheep which are not of this fold... I must bring them also, and they, they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. There have been many over the years who have misunderstood and abused this particular text of Scripture. Uh, the Mormons in, uh, uh, in, in modern era have claimed to be the other sheep. Well, um, no, it's not, it's, not, it's not like that. Uh, and it's not complicated, it's not difficult to grasp at all, Jesus is addressing a Jewish audience. And the Jewish audience believed that they were the people of God. They were the flock of God. And Jesus is not uh, discounting their claim necessarily. Uh, he's saying there, there are others. They're Gentiles. There are other people that are are not of the lineage of Abraham that are also included in the people of God. What the good shepherd is doing is pulling them all together that they will all become one flock with one shepherd. I direct your attention over to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Paul writes this to uh, this Gentile church. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were, at that time, separated from Christ. Christ excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. So in the work of Christ, this good shepherd brings together all of God's people into one flock and Jesus is their one shepherd. Jew and Gentile doesn't matter, your ethnicity doesn't matter, what language you speak, what country you live in, what your economic level is, what your education, none, none of that stuff matters. All of these people who are believers in Christ will be gathered together. And in the words of of the Apostle Paul, they will they will be one new man. They will be one body. They will they will be joined together in in a new community. We might call that the 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 Church of God. In um, in Galatians chapter six verse sixteen, he, he refers to the Church as the Israel of God. All of these people together are God's people, shepherded by one shepherd. In uh, John chapter eleven, page or two over from our text this morning, Caiaphas, who was the high priest during the time of Jesus, Caiaphas makes a statement. In verse 50, he says, It is expedient for you that one man die for the people, that the whole nation not perish. Now, by itself, that's interesting, but it's John's commentary on that statement by the high priest that is so helpful and insightful this is what John says verse 51 now he speaking to of Caiaphas he did not say this on his own initiative but being high priest that year he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation and not for the nation only but in order that He might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. The Good Shepherd. The Shepherd. Namely, the Good One. That One who is in a class all by Himself. That One. Faithfully loves God. Knows his sheep. Gives his life for these sheep. And he gathers all of them together. Even those that are scattered. Not just by distance, but by time. He, he gathers those that were born a thousand, two thousand, three thousand years ago. He gathers them together with those who believe even in this era. All are gathered together in one body. One flock with the one shepherd. Back in our text, I want you to notice one thing before we move on. In verse 16, Jesus says, I have other sheep. He he doesn't say, I'm going to have other sheep. No, He says, right now I have them. And if you're a believer in Christ, That includes you from well before you were born. Jesus knew who would be His own. He didn't choose them based on their choice of Him. No, He knew them. He chose them to be in His flock. And in due time, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, they will repent, they will believe, they will listen to the voice of the Savior, the Good Shepherd, and will follow. Point number five. The Good Shepherd, a man of perfect obedience. Look again with me at verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. It was never God's intention that Jesus stay dead. Or that Jesus stay on earth. It was the will of the Father that in order to redeem fallen mankind, it was the will of the Father that Jesus temporarily leave the throne of heaven and take on human flesh and die as a man and be resurrected unto life then ascend and take his rightful place again at the throne of heaven was always God's will did did, um, did did Jesus die by some kind of cosmic accident Did Jesus die because uh, of the misguided actions of angry men? Well, on the surface it might appear to be. No, it was by the will of God. And Jesus walked in perfect obedience to that will. He knew the end of the story. The end of the story wasn't going to end with suffering and death. That was a part of the storyline, to be sure. Had to be. It was part of the will of the Father. But it didn't end there. Turn with me over to, to Acts chapter 4. Verse 27. Peter's speaking. He's praying. He said, Truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Hmm. God was not surprised by this whole series of events. No, he was in full control. We might think that Herod, Pilate, chief priests, uh, the elders of the Jews, the Sanhedrin, uh, we we might think that these, these people were responsible for Jesus' death. Yes, they will be held accountable for their part in this, but all of it is in the greater scheme part of the will of God. John chapter 19. Jesus is talking to Pilate, the Roman official who signed his execution papers. And Jesus said, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. You would have no authority unless it had been given to you. Jesus says in verse 18 of our text, No one has taken my life away from me. I lay my life down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. God the Father gave God the Son the authority, the power, the ability, the will, everything necessary to not only lay down His life as a substitutionary sacrifice, but also to raise Himself back from death. The reality of Jesus being the Good Shepherd far out-distances the figure. Indeed, he possessed all the power, authority needed to lay out his own life and to take it back up again. There is a great, great deal of complexity when we think about Jesus being the good shepherd. Um, I'd like you to listen to, to uh, the words of Charles Spurgeon as I draw things to a close this morning. There is more in Jesus, he writes, the good shepherd, than you can pack away in a shepherd. He is the good, the great, the chief shepherd, but he is much more. Emblems to set him forth may be multiplied as the drops of the morning, but the whole multitude will fail to reflect all His brightness. Creation is, is, is too small a frame in which to hang His likeness. Human thought is too contracted. Human speech too feeble to set Him forth to the full. He is inconceivably above our conception, unutterably above our utterances. so great, so vast, so bright, so controlling, so commanding of all things, is this good shepherd, particularly for those who believe. So the call of God to all of us is to listen to the voice of this good shepherd. Follow Him wherever He leads. Let's pray. Our blessed God, I thank You for the joy that is ours to read of the Lord Jesus in all of His goodness, all of His glory, all of His wonder, condescending to become a man not a disinterested man, not an unconnected man, but one who is with purposed intention knowledgeable about us and cares about us at our weakest times, our most vulnerable times. You are there as our dread champion to provide us all that we need and protect us every step of the way we humbly submit to you bow before you seek to follow you know you understand you more and more